27th chapter, the 45th and the 46th verse. That's Matthew 45, Matthew 27, the 45th and the 46th verse. And it reads in our hearing, at noon, darkness fell across the whole land until 3 o'clock. At about 3 o'clock, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Some of your Bibles may read from the sixth hour to the ninth hour, but please understand in the Jewish times, they, they had it in 12-hour days, so it was about noon to the 3 o'clock that a darkness fell upon the land. I asked a question, why was such a darkness in the land? about noon time. Sometimes I begin to understand when I see a storm about to come. There's a darkness that falls upon the land. There's something that's going to follow that up. We find here that Jesus is on the cross. And when I go back into even the garden at Gethsemane when he asked about the cup to be taken away from him. He knew that something was about to take place. His life was going to be required of him. We find that Judas had betrayed him. And we find that Jesus was handed over to the Jews captured him, but he was handed over to the Romans because Jews couldn't do nothing about it. So it was the Roman soldiers that had did what they had to do. They said that he'd done something wrong, but there was nothing that I could see that Jesus done wrong because Jesus knew no sin. Jesus didn't harm nobody, but he loved everybody. God wasn't mad at him at all because he was about doing the Father's business. Everything that Jesus done, he looked to the Father, and he asked the Father, permission in, in areas, and even when he prayed, he looked to the Father. He honored the Father in everything. He wasn't about honoring himself. But why is this a darkness that fell upon the land? He's up there on the cross, and I can only imagine when he was suffering there on the cross. This is after they had scourged him or flogged him. Flogging took place before capital punishment. What is flogging? Flogging was where they would take his clothes off down to his waist. It was a tool that was used. It was a whip that was used to where they whipped him. He, they, 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 they would take, and the person that was being flogged 
There was the Roman soldiers that were there to witness it, but there was also Pilate who really could have kept this here from happening, but he didn't do it. Could it be that up there on the cross during the darkness of the days in Jesus' life, after being whipped, and he had to carry his cross? Could it be that all the moments that took place prior to that Jesus is coming up to Galgotha and, 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 and everything that transpired before, he's beginning to think about all of those moments. I loved each and every one of them. I did nothing wrong. I fed the hungry. The multitudes of the five thousands, I fed them. I, I, I was teaching down in the synagogue. They could have captured him while he was in this, but they didn't do it. They did not do it. But we find Jesus here on the cross. If the flogging wasn't enough, it was the abandonment of God seemingly unto Christ on the cross. Sometimes the, the beatings that were taken was excruciating to the point to where it was a lot of agony. Jesus feeling that God wasn't there with him. Sometimes in our lives, when we go through some things and situations in life, we feel that God has left us. But he tells us in the word that he would never leave us, nor would he ever forsake us, that he would be with us always. Even through some of the beatings that you may take down here on this earth, just because you took a stand for Christ, that's all right. Go ahead and stand for Christ. Jesus will never leave you, nor forsake you. But he looks to the Father. And the sin that Jesus took upon himself up on the cross. God doesn't like sin. So he turned to the one that he loved, to his only begotten son. He couldn't look at sin. That was your sin and my sin that was on the cross. That should have been me. That shouldn't have been, that should have been me. But he took our sins on the cross. And he begins to cry out there in the 46th verse, and he says, Eli, Eli, Lama Sabachthani, which is interpreted being, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why are you so far away from me? I need you right now for the sufferings that I'm going through. I did everything that you asked me to do. Lord, I need you to be close to me. Could it be that at that moment, Jesus was preparing himself to cross over? Could it be at that moment, he was just thinking about everything that has transpired. He was thinking about you. He was thinking about me. He was thinking about those Roman soldiers. He was thinking about those Jewish leaders. Because it was those religious leaders to put him on the cross. It was you and me to put him on the cross. He didn't deserve it. But he did it. That you and I would have a right to that tree of life. And this life, this life is in Christ Jesus. So that's why in the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. Because he's been just that good to us. Every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. See, they may not want to believe it back then, but I know that Jesus Christ is Lord. He's the Lord of my life. He's the Lord of your life. That's why we come out to, to the seven last words. We want to hear about what took place. 
We want to hear about the last seven words. We continue to come out, no matter what we may go through, because God has been just that good to us. He has been better to us than what we've been even to ourselves. We treat ourselves so wrong sometimes, but God has been so good, so good. He said he would never leave us nor forsake us, that he would always be there. Sometimes we even feel that God is so far away when trouble comes to knocking at our door. And we wonder, Lord, where are you at? I need you right now. This is the same thing that Jesus thought up on the cross. That's why he cried out. That's why he cried out. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He cried out because he felt that God was far away. He felt My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? God loved him, just like God loves each and every one of us. I don't know where you're at. I don't know if you ever experienced some of those dark moments in life. The darkness of the days. But the whippings that Jesus took should have been me. It should have been you. He didn't deserve it because remember, he emptied himself when he came down on earth. He emptied himself. He had all power. He had everything going for him while he was in heaven. But he came down here. He stepped down through time, down to where we are at to experience the same thing that we experience. Now we have no excuse. Because it's only what you do for Christ that's going to last. Right. We have no excuse. That same power that Jesus rose with is the same power that we have to overcome these things in life. That same power. That same power. I'm not talking about the power when you go out to your car and you expect it to start up. I'm not talking about the power when you put gas into your, your vehicle to fill it up to get it running. I'm not talking about that power. I'm talking about Holy Ghost power. I'm talking about the power of Jesus. I'm talking about the blood of Jesus that was shed out there on Calvary's cross for each and every one of us. I'm talking about that kind of power, the power that can cover the multitudes of sin. No matter what you've done in life, he loves us. He loves us so much. He took us to the cross, even to where God had turned his back on Jesus. He took our sins to the cross that we may have a right to that tree of life. And out of John chapter 19, verse 28, but I will also be going into verse 29 also. That's John chapter 19 verse 28 and verse 29 also and you will see this in your hearing and after this Jesus knowing that all things were now accomplished that the scripture might be fulfilled saith I thirst now there was set a vessel full of vinegar and they filled a sponge with vinegar and put it upon hyssop and put it to his mouth It's kind of ironic that I have our thirst. And as you see, I got up here and poured myself some water because my mouth was dry. And 
At this point of Jesus' crucifixion, he had been placed on the cross at about 9 o'clock in the morning. This is around the 8th or ninth hour. So Jesus had been on the cross for six hours, suffering for six hours. And if you understand the process of what the cross was supposed to do, the death process, what it was supposed to do is they would put a, pedal, a, a post up under your feet. They would measure it out to where you would just have enough room to post yourself up to catch your breath. And they nailed his feet and they nailed his arms. So Jesus has been on this cross for six hours. And in the six hours, he's been trying to catch his breath. So he will press his legs to catch his breath. And anybody that knows that when you are struggling to breathe, your mouth gets dry. Your mouth gets dry. And let's just see what Jesus looks like. He is a bloody mess up there. They have whipped him with a cat of nine tails to the point that he didn't even look human. That's what the scripture says. Not only that, he's been hanging there for six hours. Now, God has poured his wrath on him, has poured all of our sins on him to the point that God turned his back on him, that the sun refused to shine, that at noontime when the sun should be at its highest, it refused to shine. So he is suffering, but he never said a word through all those six hours. And even then in the verse in Scripture 28, it says the only reason why he said, I thirst, is that Scripture may be fulfilled. Can I teach you just for a minute? Because we may not all know what the Scripture is, but the Scripture comes from Psalms 22 and 15, which is a, a messianic psalm. And in that psalm that was written by King David, he says, my strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue cleaveth to my jaws. Anybody that has ever been so tired that your mouth is dry, we call that cotton mouth. Because your mouth is just so dry, it just feels like cotton, and that your tongue just sticks to your mouth. And the only way to relieve this is by drinking some type of fluid. Now, Jesus has bled. He has suffered, and before the sun stops shining, he's out in the sun. He's sweating. And if anybody y'all know anything about the human body, when you start losing fluids, you get dehydrated. So he's cramping. His body is aching. He's hurting. He did all this for us. And because he said, I thirst, one of the soldiers went to and grabbed a sponge, dipped it in some vinegar, and then put the sponge on some hyssop and offered it to Jesus. If you study your Bible, you know what hyssop means and what the purpose of it was for. We first see the use of hyssop in Exodus 12 and 22 at the very first Passover. Moses tells the children of Israel, on this night, the death angel will pass through. But what you need to do is go out 
and kill a lamb. Ain't that funny? They were told to kill a lamb. And now, at this point, as John said, behold the lamb that comes, lamb of God that comes to take away the sins of the world. He's bleeding. And, he, and Moses tell the children, his, the children of Israel to take the hyssop and then dip it in the blood and cover the post. So that when the deaf angel will come through, he will see the sign and he will pass by, pass over. Now, the Lamb of God is on the cross. And see, the Jews missed that. They missed what was going on at the cross because hyssop was also used by the priests in Leviticus 14 and 4 that when they would cleanse or show that a person that had leprosy had been cleansed, they would dip hyssop in blood, sprinkle it on them, and then that would show that they had been clean. So the priests used that. And then we see in Psalms 51 and 7, after David had sinned with Bathsheba, and Nathan had told him what he had done, and David finally goes to ask for forgiveness of his sins. David said, purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be white as snow. When you understand what the word purge means, the word purge means to cleanse or purify. It also means to remove all undesirable or impure things. Jesus hung on the cross, taking away the sins of the world. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed me white as snow. Also the song that says there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's vein. And sinners plunged beneath, lose all thy guilty sins away. Jesus is on the cross. He is that lamb. He is taking away our sins of the world. He is cleaning us. He is doing his priestly duty. Reverend Brown said that he took care of all his earthly duties. Now he's doing his godly duties. He is the high priest. He is the sacrifice because he has been sacrificed. There is no need for no more sacrifices. In, in Hebrews, it says that the, the sacrifices of bulls and lambs could not cover our sins. Only the sacrifice of Jesus, sinless, can cover our sins. So he is covering our sins. You have to see the godly part of that where he is now removed from doing his earthly job. So now he is fulfilling his godly job and covering up our sins. I got one more point, and I'm going to take my seat. The vinegar that they offered Jesus also fulfilled the scripture. It's found in Psalm 62 and 21. And then that he, was, he says, and in my thirst, they gave me vinegar to drink. But what you got to understand is this vinegar was not to quench his thirst. You find this in the Gospel of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. It was also mixed with myrrh. And what it was designed 
to do was to act as a painkiller to ease his suffering on the cross. Because Jesus thirst, 1 Corinthians 15 and 55 says that the sting of sin, Jesus took away the sting of death. He took care of the pain of sin. And because he did that, now I don't have to worry that when I die, that if you have been washed in the blood of the lamb, death is not the same because we will see our father. Death is not the same because Jesus thirsts. If you flash back, as Reverend Donnie said to the woman at the well, when Jesus again said, I thirst. And then he told her that if you would give me, if you knew of who asked you to give him water, that I will give you water, that you will never thirst no more. We're going to thirst while we're down here. We're going to get tired of down here, and we're going to need a sip of water. But I'm so glad that Jesus, because he thirsts, I will never have to thirst again. It says that there will flow rivers of everlasting life that we will never have to thirst again. I thirst, I thirst. Because he thirsts, we won't ever have to thirst again. I thank him that he thirsts. Because he thirsts, I won't ever have to thirst again. I thirst, I thirst. John 19.30. When Jesus, therefore, had received the vinegar, he said... It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. Lord, even now, do it again. Lord, we just want to say thank you. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. While, while on the cross, uh, this is Jesus' sixth word. However, uh, this is Jesus' sixth word, but within the original Greek, Jesus only spoke one word. The Greek word Jesus used was tetelestai, tetelestai. And what that tetelestai means, it means that it is completed. That, that, that means that it has come to an end. That, that means that it is fulfilled. But yet, in order to convey what Jesus is saying within the English, when the translators translated, to, to, in order to get the whole scope of what Jesus is say, was saying, instead of just using one word, they used three words. And those three words was, it is finished. But again, again, Jesus only used one word, tetelestai. This is perhaps the shortest word that Jesus used while on the cross, just one word. And I believe that one word is enough. Because church, don't you know that God only needs one word to change your, God don't need to speak many words into your life. God can change your world upside down with just one word. If any of us who exegete the scriptures, we know that just one word can baffle your mind and baffle your imagination. You know, perhaps the old saint, older saints realized this because of when the old deacon used to come in the door, it was really only one question. They'll say, is there not a word? From the Lord. So God, God, God don't need much. But, but however, uh, 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 within today, I just want to, uh, to, to, to 
exegete the, the, the English version, just three words I want to deal with. Uh, it is fin finished. That's all we're going to deal with. It, it, it is finished. Now, now, now the it, the it, the it is a, a pronoun. And a pronoun always takes the place of the noun. So the pronoun do not come before the noun. Because within writing, you always have the noun being the person, place, or thing. And then following, after you have the noun, you'll have the pronoun. So whenever you see a pronoun within scripture, that means that there was a noun previously mentioned. So therefore, for Jesus to use the word it, or for us to translate the word it to convey what Jesus is saying, that means that there's something within the scriptures that was previously mentioned. So if I have a moment, I would like to just talk about it. I just like to talk about it. You know, so what, what, what is the it? Don't you know, uh, many scholars believe that throughout the scriptures, there's over 300 prophecies uh, written within the Old Testament concerning the life of Jesus. 300 prophecies that was to be fulfilled. Now, I believe that this is the it. That, that all, everything that Jesus is to be fulfilled, it's pretty amazing that it can be put in a, 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 a two-word word, it. So every, everything that he's done is within the it. And right now, let's just talk about it. I believe in Genesis, just a few of them. Genesis 3.15, it says that he was to be born of a woman. That's the part of the it. And uh, Micah 5.2, it says that he was to be born in Bethlehem. I believe that's part of the it. In uh, 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 12, it says that he's supposed to be born of a virgin. I, I believe that's a part of the it. And uh, in Isaiah chapter uh, 50 verse 6, it says that he is going to be marred more than any man. I believe that's a part of the it. In uh, 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 um, Psalm chapter 22 verse 16, it says that they pierce my hands and they pierce my feet. I believe that's part of the it. In uh, Psalms 22 verse, eight, uh, verse 18, it, it, it says that uh, they gave me me, uh, uh, I'm sorry, they gambled for my, uh, my garments, you know, while Jesus was on the cross. So again, that's part of the it. So, so everything that, 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 that all the prophecies, did not one of them fall to the ground. You know, it's like crossing every T and, and dotting every I. And, but but with, being in the Greek, it wasn't T's and I's, but it was jots and tittles. And don't you know, he, 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 he crossed he, he, every dot and every tittle of the Old Testament scripture. He fulfilled it all. So the it was now coming into completion. Amen? But now it says it is, is, is. Don't you know that is is the, uh, is the present for to be? Is is the present for to be. So is, when you take is, it's only spoken in the present tense. And don't you know within Scripture, God only speaks of himself in the present tense. Oh, let me explain. God never speaks of himself in the past or the future tense. God never, you know, being that we live in within time, I can say yesterday I was, and tomorrow I will be. But God never says I was or I will be. If God had to explain it, he'll say yesterday I am, today I am, and tomorrow I am. Now, some, some of my scholars are having a dispute, but what about when Jesus says I I am Alpha and Omega. Well, Jesus, never, speaking about the beginning and speaking about the end, Jesus never said I, I was at the beginning. 
and I will be at the end. No, he never said that. He said, he said I, I am the beginning, and I am the end. That means, like, if you go to the beginning, I am, and, and we go to the end, I am. But yet, because Jesus manifested himself in time, he needs to speak in our language, too. He says, in the beginning, I'm, I'm Alpha and Omega, but now he switches into our time, who is, because he's talking about our time. Who was? Because he came. And who, who, and who is to be? Because he's coming back. So he, but yet, God in his essence, he never speaks of himself. He only speaks to himself within the present. In theology, this is why God is referred to as the eternal present. He is the great I am. So, so, so God is. But because God is, we can all relate to that. You know, because uh, when, I, when I'm in trouble, don't you know he is my bridge over troubling water? You know, you know when, when I'm in trouble, he is my hiding place. You know, he, 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 he is my provider. Whatever you need to be, whatever you need God to be, he is. You know, he, he's my joy and sorrow, and he's also my hope for tomorrow. So, so he is. He is. But not only that, it says that it is finished. It is finished. Being that it is finished, uh, what was decreed within eternity is now being manifested within time. So, so, so it is coming to completion, and it is finished. Now, now, don't you know, this, the word finished is testelestai. In the Greek, it's spoken in the perfect participle. That means that it's completed within the highest sense. That means he completely finished all his work. It's like when you're moving. You know, sometimes we leave stuff behind. People need to come up and clean up after it, you know. But it's like you done vacuumed the floor. You done done everything. The other person just moved right in. He, he completely finished the work. Now, if he completely finished his salvation work, why are we trying to work for salvation? For us to try to work for salvation is to, for us to say that his work was not finished. He completely finished his work. I got an illustration for this. You know, I recently helped my brother move. I really helped my, I, I recently helped my brother move. And because um, I guess he was a fast mover because I was yet on my way to, 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 to help him um, load up the truck. I, I was, you know, I was... So I said, bro, I'm on my way. He said, no, no, don't, 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 don't come to the old place. Don't, don't come to the old place. He said, because it's already finished. I, I already, it's, everything is already loaded. So, so what do I look like going to an empty place where the work is already finished? Now, this is what it looks like when we're trying to work for our salvation. It's already finished. But he said, corny, this is what I need you to do. I need you to meet me at the new place because my work is finished, but because I have this U-Haul and I'm driving, the work ain't done yet. So meet me at the new place so you can help me unload. So his work was finished, but it wasn't done. And don't you know on a cross, Jesus' salvation work was finished, but it was finished, but it's not done. Because on the cross, his salvation work is finished, but his redemptive work is not yet done. It's not done because we all are moving into a new home one day. It's a new place that he's trying to take us to. 
And when we finally enter into New Jerusalem and, and walk through them gates in Revelation 21, verse 6, Jesus will finally say, it is done. So it's finished, but it ain't done. But how do we know it's getting close to time to move in? How do you know when it's close to time to move? Don't you know it's time to move when things start breaking down? It's time, it's time to move when there start being cracks in the wall. And, and it's, it's time to move when the furnace is on its last leg. And, it, and, and, and it's time to, you know when it's really time to move. It's really when you start looking at the ceiling and you start seeing a leak in the ceiling. You start seeing a leak in the ceiling. When the ceiling starts to leak, you know, I can, I can hear the old, the old church mother saying that there's a leak in this old building. And, and my soul is, is trying to move. So, but but I, I'm trying to hold out as long as I can. So I got a pot to catch this leak. And I got another cup to catch this leak. But as I keep on looking up, Pastor, this old building just keeps on leaking and, and my soul has got to move so I see the I see the church mother packing up and she's she's packing up and they say where where are you going I hear her telling her neighbors you know I'm going to a building not made with hands now 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 now, now after we move uh, what what do it look like somebody going back to the the old place looking for us well you know that don't make you know because we, we, we not there no more and on Sunday morning, I see Mary Magdalene and some other women. They're going to look for Jesus. They're going to the grave to, to look for Jesus. But the only thing about it, they're looking at an old residence. The angel would say, why are y'all looking for the living amongst the dead? And I just want to take a pause right there that Jesus is not dead. He is alive. And he said, he is not here. He has risen. And, and so, 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 so. I don't know how long I got. I don't know how long you got, but, but I know this, that one of these old mornings, and, and it might not be long, you're going to look for me, <laughs> and, and, and I'll be gone. Pastor, where I'm going to be, I'm going to roam in my brand new home. I'm going to lay down my heavy loads, and, and they say it's a place where the streets are Painted, painted gold, and and, and I and I perhaps I'll look at my hand, and and I and they'll be new, and uh, I I'll look at my feet, and they will be new too. But 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 until then, I just want to say glory, glory, into the Lamb, for I know that He will take us into that land. God bless you. Let's turn to the book of Luke, Luke chapter twenty-three. Luke chapter 23 and verse 46. <clears throat> Excuse me. Luke 23 verse 46 and read in your hearing. And when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And having said thus, he gave up the ghost. You may be seated. I think one of the, it is so important that we don't take this for granted. Because if we don't understand 
what has happened, what Jesus did, it is quite possible that we might not have a salvation. Because it is because of what Jesus has done. It's not because of what we did. It's not because that we are so good. It's all because of what Jesus has done. So we can't afford to miss what Jesus did and the cross. You see, we have heard the seven words. We have heard, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. We have heard, woman, behold thy son. Behold thy mother. We've heard verily I say unto you that today you shall be in paradise with me. We've heard my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? We've heard our thirst. And we've just heard it is finished. A word that, that, that seems to signify a, a sense of relief, but in the same time, a word of excitement. It, it was a triumphant cry, so to speak. Although, but although it is finished, Jesus is still alive. Although it is finished, he still lives. So my question is, what is he waiting on. He was already said it is finished. And from the previous word that Brother Cornelius preached, he gave an explanation to what finish is. So Jesus said it is finished, but yet he still lives. But the text say in a loud voice he proclaimed, Father, into thy hand I commend my spirit. You see, his final word was from Psalms 31, verse 5, where this is the prayer of trust from a righteous sufferer. You see, it was part of an evening prayer used by, the, by daily devout Jews, similar to one that, that, that we might sometimes say that, you know, when we say, while I lay me down to sleep, I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. Into thy hands I command my spirit. But the text was very precise about how it was said. It said with a loud voice. So why with a loud voice? He seems determined that his final words be heard. He seems determined to draw all attention to himself, proclaiming that it was time. You see, when we think of John chapter 10, verse 17 to 18, Jesus told the Jews, say, I lay down my life that I may take it up again. He said, I lay down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it up again. He said, this commandment I have received from my father. 
So perhaps Jesus wanted them to know that I'm about to lay down. I'm about to fulfill the promise that I told you that I'm the one who's going to lay this thing down. You can't take this life from me. I have the power to lay this life down. You see, when I, when, I, when I think about that, it reminds me of Jacob. In Genesis chapter 49, verse 33, it said, And when Jacob had finished of blessing or commanding his son, he gathered up his feet into the bed, and he gave up the ghost. But, but also, we have to know that all does not have the power or the ability to, to, to do this. There has to be a trust factor. You see, there has to be an assurance in knowing that it is well with our souls. You see, as the old songwriter says, when peace like a river attended my soul, when sorrow like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well, with my soul. My question is, is it well with your soul today? You see, it is a question that we all need to have an answer to because as another songwriter said, death has a time to, to, to steal us away. Death has a time to steal us and carry us away. But Jesus paid the price that it might be well with our souls. He said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. When I think that he gave it up, that he determined that it was time. I, I, I think of a uh, a transfer ticket. I think of Jesus just using his transfer ticket. It, it, it's like riding the, the, the metro bus. And you have a transfer in your possession. Your destination is from point A to point B. But there is also a point C and a point D. You see, Jesus was at point B, where the, the, the bus that he was riding could not have taken him any farther than where he was at the point. So all he did was put in his transfer ticket. He decided to take another bus. Because he, he, his time on this earth and that leg of the journey was over. But it was time to move on. You see, we got to understand that his physical death was just a transfer into the second leg of the journey. You see, though he died, he still lives. You see, if the Bible tells us in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 19... He said that he went and ministered to the spirit in prison. So Jesus, his earthly journey up to the cross was finished. But he still had the mission in order to complete. 
So this portion was finished, but yet there is another portion that continues. You see, we got to understand that it, it is like a, a, a saving account. You may deposit your money and it seems to be just sitting there. But in the background, your money is hard at work. Because in, in while it is sitting there, it is gaining interest. So while Jesus' body was, 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 was laid in a tomb for safekeeping, his spirit was still at work. It was, it was not over. You see, Jesus only said it was finished, meaning that this leg of the journey that I am on right now, it is finished, but it's not done. It, it is not done. You see, he did not stop there. It was Friday, but by Sunday was coming. You see, he was buried in a borrowed tomb, but but, but Sunday was coming. See, while his body was, was laying quietly, he was on a journey, but Sunday was coming. You see, it tells us that on the third day, he didn't stay dead. On the third day, he rose again. It tells us that on the third day, that there was a, a shaking. That on the third day, the stone was rolled away. It tells us that early Sunday morning, that he rose with victory. Early Sunday morning, he rose with all power in his hand. But he also tells us that he did not stop there, but he ascended into the heavens. And that he's seated at the right hand of God, making intercession on our behalf. On our behalf. You see, Jesus paid the price for our re redemption. In him, there is an assurance of knowing that if we walk in this pathway of duty, that if we work till the close of the day, we shall see the great king in all his beauty when we've gone the last mile of the way. He said, when I've gone the last mile, of the way. I will rest at the end of the day because I know, I say, I know that there are joy that awaits me when I've gone the last mile of the way. You see, in order for joy to be awaiting you, you have to know who Jesus is. You see, if you don't know who Jesus is, there is no joy that's awaiting. You see, Jesus gave his life for us that we might be free from the bondage of sin. Jesus paid the price that we could not pay for ourselves. Jesus paid it all. He paid it all. He paid it all. He paid it all. All we have to do is accept Jesus as our Savior because one day this world is coming to an end. But do you know Jesus for yourself? Do you know Jesus as your personal Savior? It is good to know Jesus. Because if you do not know Jesus, you have no hope. There is hope in Jesus. This is what it is all about. 
Jesus did something for us that we could never have done for ourselves. That is what the cross was all about. It was about the love of a God who didn't want us to perish. It was about a love of a God who loved us so much that he gave everything for us. But do you know Jesus? Will you accept Jesus? Because without Jesus, we have no hope. Do you know Jesus? Do you know Jesus? Because one day we too, we were all born with a transfer ticket. One day that transfer ticket is going to come into play. We don't know how and we don't know when. But what you do now determines where you go once you use that transfer ticket. We're going to cash that transfer ticket in, but where are we going when we do? God bless you.